what they were saying is you're giving away this much value and you're charging this, this tiny little bar chart. And they were saying you need to flip that. You need to be charging this but delivering this tiny little bit of value over here. And I said, if I ever get to that point, please kill me because I will never deliver less value than someone has paid for. I'm never going to get to the point where I'm charging this huge amount for this tiny bit of value. Welcome to Yaro's podcast, where you'll discover the stories behind world-class performers, business builders, and enlightened leaders. Do you suffer from email addiction? Yeah, I have, and I'm a recovering email addict. Thankfully, I took a step that broke me free from the email trap. Most business owners spend a lot of time during their working day inside their inbox, and it may be even bleeding into your home life where you spend hours at night or first thing in the morning attempting to clear that email inbox. Now, it's not surprising because email is where often the most important messages come. We get messages from our clients, our potential customers, from our contractors, our employees, possibly friends and family, everything going on with our lives and our businesses. So the idea of outsourcing or handing over that email inbox to someone else is not something you may have considered before. But I want to tell you, it is by far the most powerful productivity step you can take is to hire someone to handle your email for you. It frees you up so you have more time to do whatever you'd like, whether it's growth activities in your business, creating products, working on marketing campaigns and relationships with other people, or maybe you're spending more time with your friends and your family or working on your own health, exercising, taking holidays and so forth. When you're glued to your email inbox, it keeps you away from all those activities. Now, the strange thing is we're usually very comfortable outsourcing all kinds of other aspects of our business. But for some reason, email is one of the last things or perhaps something you never have considered outsourcing to someone else. Well, I have some exciting news. I actually have a company called InboxDone.com. You may have heard of it. We provide a human being to take over your email. I've actually had someone handle my own email inboxes for over 12 years now. So I took the step to break free many, many years ago and I haven't gone back. I now could never go back to doing my own email. It would be very difficult. And I'd like you to experience the same sense of freedom. So if you're curious on how exactly someone could take over your email and, and how the process works and how you can come trust someone to handle that all-important inbox, I recommend you head over to inboxdone.com and check out my company. There's a real opportunity here for you to potentially change your life and certainly change your business for the better. Create some freedom, some time by handing over that inbox to someone who should really spend more time there than you do because that's their job and it's not your job. Inboxdone.com. Check it out. Hello, this is Yarrow and welcome to today's podcast. First, I have to apologize as my portion of this interview was recorded using my MacBook Pro standard built-in microphone, so not the usual microphone I use for my interviews. And that was entirely my fault as I forgot to bring the cable in with me to WeWork uh, to connect the microphone to my laptop. But thankfully, my guest, Mike Rhodes, he had a great microphone and everything came across really good. So you should still have a fantastic interview to listen to. And much like the Will Swain podcast that uh, precedes this one, this is another episode about a person who's done a lot with the agency model. So if you're running an agency or you're thinking about running some kind of online agency delivering services, this podcast will definitely be of interest to you. 
Mike has a huge amount of experience uh, over a decade now of running his own successful agency with clients like Tony Robbins and lots of other name dropping he does in this episode. So I'll let you uh, dive in and listen to it right now. Here is the interview with Mike Rhodes. Hello, this is Yarrow, and welcome to a brand new podcast episode with one of my, uh, well, now it's been a long-term Australian-based friend who I guess I haven't spent a lot of time with face-to-face, but whenever I'm in Melbourne, I always make sure I come and visit my friend Mike Rhodes at some point in time. So, Mike, thank you for joining me. Oh, it's great to be here, mate. Thank you for inviting me. So... I know you as essentially a pay-per-click guru. That's kind of like the introduction I first had to you. You're running an agency, doing a lot of work for other companies. Then you kind of, I mean, I left the country and I obviously only lived in (laughs) Melbourne for one year, but you were busy doing things. Most famous thing I saw you do was co-author a book with Perry Marshall on pay-per-click advertising, which you just told me is the best-selling over 100,000 copies of this book in the world for this topic of pay-per-click. So clearly you've risen amongst all the pay-per-click gurus out there, which everyone seems to be, if you're in any kind of online marketing, to now a legitimate expert at this. But I know there's been a lot more going on. So can you give us a summary of what what, what haven't I said about what you do? You pretty much covered it. So two businesses, Web Savvy and Agency Savvy. Web Savvy is the done-for-you part. So that's where we help businesses grow. And we've become one of the biggest AdWords agencies, certainly in Australia, and Google told us last year we were one of their top 18 agencies in the world, which was very, very nice to hear. I'm sure there are bigger agencies, but I don't know how they rank these things. But anyway, we've made that list. But then the other side of things is I teach agencies how to grow. That started back when we first met teaching people how to do AdWords as an agency, we have courses on everything now, Google Shopping, Data Studio, even even some Facebook and mindset stuff in there, but very, very focused on how to scale the agency, how to grow the business side of things. Because I love the business of business, as you know. AdWords is, is definitely a passion, but I just don't know what AdWords looks like five, 10 years from now. But I, but I know I'll always be helping businesses grow. And so we sort of transitioned across to that, still teaching the AdWords stuff as well. But that's, yeah, that's a huge passion project as well, okay. teaching other agencies. So you're spending more time as a, a coach of agency owners or more time as running an actual agency now? <laughs> it's, it's very meta. Time-wise, time-wise yeah. it's probably 80, 20, 80% more on the agency side, but I've just got a head of operations that started last Monday. So I'm able to sort of bit by bit back away from the, the day-to-day running of things, obviously still involved in in the strategy on accounts and, and a bit in sales and, you know, a typical entrepreneur, right? You wear a dozen hats. That's not really changing. But yeah, I, I'm a teacher at heart, like yourself. I love that side of things, creating courses, teaching people, mentoring some agency owners. Okay. You know, it's interesting timing. You won't be aware of this, but just last week I did a recording with Will Swain. Oh. Uh, yes, who is another Australian who owns an agency who is also someone I've known for many years. And it was actually a part two because I interviewed Will as my first ever podcast guest in 2005 and his agency wow. was brand new. So then oh, now cool. we're doing one in 2019 and we saw the whole development curve from you know the one-man show to the office with, I don't know, 20, 30 
employees to then shrinking it right back down to a virtual, very, you know, very dumb remote company with, you know, only a few people in an office, but most people working remotely. And we'll explain that story and also talk about investing in some other companies. So I'm kind of curious to contrast your development of an agency. I don't know how this has happened. I've ended up doing two agency related podcasts in a row, but anyone out there listening who loves podcasts and agencies will, will find this very valuable. So but before we do that, I guess it'll come out in the story. Mm. So look at your past, you know, 10, 12 years running an agency too. So let's go back in time though, because I know, you know, when I met you, your agency was new and I don't actually know anything about you from before you did that, like how you even became, uh, you know, an entrepreneur. Um, but, you know, did you go to school in Melbourne as well? Born and raised How in Melbourne? No, 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 not at all. Born and raised in the UK. So Makes um, sense, the accent. I left the UK in 98, ended up in New Zealand, always loved the mountains, had never been to New Zealand before, but this is the sneaky little trick I did. I wanted to be in Australia. So when I'd been backpacking around the world, I'd spent a lot of time in Australia, always felt more at home here than in the UK. Yeah, I briefly bounced through New Zealand on that backpacking tour. But then when I got home, I found that the waiting list for Australian residency was about two years and it cost about a thousand pounds. I found out that New Zealand, the waiting list was four months because most Kiwis can automatically just wander into Australia whenever they want. So not much of a paperwork backlog there. (laughs) And it was a thousand Kiwi pesos, which at the time was about 300 quid. So the money I saved on the entry for the, or the application bought me a one-way ticket to Sydney via Auckland. And I put my paperwork in and four months later, I was an Australian resident. Oh, wow. That's Uh, a hack. Yeah, a bit of a hack. So I popped over here, got the stamp in the passport, got the permanent residency visa running, but then went back to Queenstown because I'd just started my first business there. So I lived in Queenstown in New Zealand for three years, ended up building up an internet cafe because I'd been given these two books. That's really, I suppose, where my entrepreneurial journey starts. I'd been given these two books as I was building that as I was just sort of forming that business, and that was The E-Myth by Mr. Gerber and Cashflow Quadrant by Robert Kiyosaki. And because of the impact of those two books, I think I worked about a dozen shifts in the cafe over that 18-month period. Hardly worked in there at all, built it up, sold it, moved to Sydney. And then I think it was because of a Tony Robbins conference that I went to and I came out, you know, hair on fire like you do, (laughs) and decided that helping business owners was my thing. That's that's what I really, really wanted to do. So I wrote to Gerber and I said, oh, gosh, this is really weird to remember all this stuff, but um, your book changed my life. I've built this business to solve it. And I've just arrived in Australia and I bumped into a guy who's an e-myth coach. I never knew I could have got help with this shit. I did everything just from reading the book. What's an e-myth coach? Tell me more. Heard nothing back, thought nothing of it. Six weeks later, I get a phone call from Michael's PA saying, Michael's just walking out of a meeting. He'd like to have a chat with you. Can I put him on? This is like the Michael Gerber. (laughs) This was the Bible. For those people under 35 listening, this was the Bible of small business back then. And this was the guy saying, can we have a chat? And long, long story short, he said, Four times a year, we invite a dozen people to California. Next one's on Tuesday. Do you want to come? This was Friday morning. I said, yes. But I've got a Bucks weekend this weekend for a mate, not mine. I'm going to need a little bit of help. Can you put me back onto your PA? I need I need help arranging accommodation and a shuttle. And she goes, don't worry, we'll have it sorted. I ran up to North Sydney, bought my air ticket, ran back, packed for the Bucks weekend. 
left, got very, very pissed for two days, came back, went to the airport on Monday, landed in San Francisco and everything was arranged and organized. And I had a, a wonderful week and a half with Michael and his team and became an Emith coach after that for a bit. Okay. I had no idea. Interesting. <laughs> so you, your first ever business was an internet cafe in Queenstown, New Zealand. But before that, if you were backpacking, I'm guessing you were just a student and, and so forth. Yeah, so, you know, lifeguard, warehouse operative. Oh, I worked for a helicopter. The, the bit of, of interest in the middle there, I worked for, oh, my passion was always helicopters. As a, From a five-year-old, I wanted to fly helicopters. So when I got back from backpacking, I wrote every helicopter company in England, 44 of them, I seem to remember, and four of them said yes. So that's about a, like a 10% conversion rate. That was pretty good. And I took a job with Hanson Aviation, which is Lord Hanson's company. So we had clients like oh, the Queen, um, Princess Diana, Bodian, Mohamed Al Fayed, the, the boys that run Dubai, Bill Gates, Michael Schumacher. It was it was an amazing place to work, and I worked in fly tops. I wasn't flying; okay. I wasn't a pilot. I make that clear because uh, I barely had my uh, my civvy ticket at that point. I certainly wasn't a commercial pilot, but I worked in fly tops, and I got to speak to mostly their PAs, but occasionally the uh, the real talent. And that was it was fascinating. It was great fun, but I yeah I worked okay. out fairly quickly. Actually, don't want to be in aviation. Everybody's here for the love of it. I don't want to be flying because these guys refer to themselves as drivers. They're basically posh taxi drivers and they'll be sitting in a field waiting for someone at five in the morning. And I just don't want to do that. And and these guys have been, you know, they've got 10,000 hours flying under their belt and they're on 20,000 pounds a year. This is insane. I'd rather be the guy sitting in the back. And so that I think sort of helped me decide that I wanted to be a an entrepreneur and, and not a pilot. Okay. So how old were you when you went to this Michael Gerber training? Oh, I was probably just turned 30, there were thereabouts. Okay. So enough to have something behind you and, uh, you know, call yourself a coach rather than being a 21-year-old coach, which is <laughs> I was a bit of a... Yes, to point you're being kind, though. I mean, when, when I became an e-myth consultant, I was very, very green. I was very idealistic. You know, I'd had this business success. I'd sold my business for a chunk of change, more money than I'd ever seen in my life. And I thought I was it in a bit. And I was approaching these businesses saying, I am going to help you systemize your business. You know, let me at it. And like, I, I thought I was actually going to systemize their business. But all I was really doing is following Gerber's system. And I mean, to the point where most meetings would go like this, um, mate, all I want is just a few more clients or a few more covers or a few more patients. Or can you help with that? I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. that's module five. No problem at all. That's module five. Got you covered there. But but it's it's Gerber. It's a system. You know the seven modules we've got. Well, when do we get to module five? Is that like day five, week five? Oh, usually around month ten. <laughs> get out of my office now, unless you get me more customers. Yeah, you got mindset. There's all this. It's a system. Yeah, get out. And I was always, I was terrible at it. I I because I was I just couldn't sell it, and so I didn't renew my extraordinarily expensive license fee with the wonderful Mr. Gerber, who has since become a client. Oh, really? Many years later, so it kind of goes full circle. Yeah, <laughs> Tony Robbins and Gerber became clients later on. I haven't got Kiyosaki as a client. If anyone knows him that's listening, send him my way. <laughs> I can I can complete the set. You did name drop in the intro all the clients you had now. You've had the Queen, you've had Tony Robbins. <laughs> <laughs> queen, yeah, that's, that's a bit of a stretch to say the client was a Queen. But. <laughs> um, before you continue, I just want to ask, because I'm always curious when you have a business, going back to your internet cafe and you sell it and sound like you made a good amount of money. And we kind of glossed over that. I just am a little curious, any highlights from that? Was it hard finding a buyer? Was it hard to grow that company? That's that story is ridiculous. So, so I'm getting ready to leave for Sydney. I was, I was leaving anyway. 
And so a couple of weeks before I've said to my manager, I'm giving you 2% of the company and 1% for every year here on out, not capped. And then I went to my accountant and we're going through last year's numbers. And I don't know, I, I don't remember how it came up in conversation, but eventually we get to how do you value a business? I think I asked him that question. I had no idea about multiples or any of that stuff. He's like, oh, sit down, Mike. All right. And he explains multiples. And, and, and we went back through the P&L and found stuff in there, you know, expenses through the year that were personal expenses that really shouldn't have been in there. And we took those out and realized what the real profit was. And so he said, well, based on a conservative multiple, I think one and a half it was, for you, your business would be worth X. I'm like, oh, okay. Didn't realize. Cool. Nice to know. Thanks. Bye. See you. Get a phone call from him two days later going, I've got a, a mate. I think you should just have a coffee with him. And me, naively, in uh, 29, whatever I was then, actually thought we were just going to catch up and have a coffee. Half an hour later, we're shaking on a price. And he's tried to lowball me. And I've got, well, no, Chris says it's worth this. So it's worth that. I'm like, this is all I know. And he said, well, you're leaving in four days time. Would you take this little tiny discount if we can get the deal done in the next four days? Best poker face of my life. And I suck at poker, but on this day I was good. I'm like, inside I'm just, yes. This is my face. Um, well, yeah, yeah, I guess we could do that. And we shook hands on a price and that was it. And I went back to Chris, just like, you know, taking the bottle of wine and giving him a big kiss. And uh, he said, mate, it will never, ever be this easy ever again. Don't expect this to ever, ever happen again. But it, uh, it, awesome. nothing fell through. It all worked. And the best part of that, I got to walk back in and tell our Al Hollands, she's still in Queenstown, lovely, lovely girl, English girl, who was my manager, and got to tell her that I'd sold the business, which was a bit of a shock. But then I got to give her the check for the 2% of the business. And she's like, but what, what, we only we were just talking about that over a beer the other night. Like, there's no paperwork. There's no, I'm like, no, 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 deal's a deal. 2% of this was yours, and here's the check for your 2%. And she's crying, and I'm crying. And that, was, that, that was the best part of that. Oh, that's very sweet. Now, I don't mind, and I'm sure everyone's listening. I'm curious, you know, how much you sold it for. If you can't tell us, that's cool. But are we talking, you know, retire for the rest of your life money, or, you know, you got one year I, I, runway? I probably, thought, I probably thought so at the time. And then I landed in Sydney and realized that, yeah, low six figures doesn't go that far in Sydney. And this is before the property boom. So no, I, I, I thought I was semi-retired at, at that point. I didn't have a job for the next two years, played a lot of golf. And I had an instant social life there through the guys that I'd met when I was backpacking around Australia. So just an awesome, awesome crew that are still there, North Manly, Narrabeen in that area. Amazing group of guys that just made me feel so welcome. I just, I had a ball. For, for a couple of years. Yeah. yeah, nice. Yeah. Early were you married then? No, no, no. I was a single boy. Single. And one of my mates one of my mates ran well, I think it was named as one of the top three nightclubs in the world. It's um Tank, which is underneath Justin Hems establishment hotel. I think Hems owns it, but you know, Rob and the boys ran it. So yeah, lots of VIP room access and uh, some amazing nights I got just to keep the name dropping going, got served vodka by um, JK from Jamiroquai. He was standing behind the bar one night in the VIP room, pouring shots, going, one for you, one for me, straight down the throat. One for you in a glass, one for me. That was a that was a highlight. Okay, so Gosh, Jamiroquai. This is terrible. Start McCarthy. all over again now because there's just way too much name dropping going on here. I love it. I love it. I have to say you be, you've beaten Will with name dropping by far. If we're going to compare. Uh, oh, agents. and then this one day, I met Will Swain. Oh, oh. Okay. <laughs> a 
have to make sure he listens in now. <laughs> wow. Okay. Cool. So, I mean, you're in your following this. Yeah, you're in your early 30s. You've, you know, you deposited a few hundred thousand dollars in your bank account. You've lived large for a couple of years, and you've become a Michael Gerber methodology teacher. Were you thinking, you know, as a teacher of that, is this is now the career I'm starting, or is this the side thing you want to do because you thought, you know, I've had a successful business, I want to stay involved with business? What, what was your, you know, future thinking at that point? Can't be just yeah. play golf and drink at That's this. A really good question. I always, I've always loved the business of business. I don't think I ever thought about it that hard. I probably suspected it, it, it wasn't that. I mean, yeah, it was a huge license fee, and I didn't want to keep paying. That, I mean, the Aussie what dollar. is it? Are we talking hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands? Or oh, no, like sort of 40 or 50-ish. But like, okay, you know, enough. For, for me back then, that was that was huge because the Aussie dollar was in the toilet compared to the US dollar. And obviously, he's charging it in US. And so I got to about sort of the eight-month mark and went, oh, I'm doing so poorly at selling this thing. I'm, I, I don't want another client at this point because I don't want to re-up next year. Right. So at that point, then I probably started looking around. And it was about that time, a little bit after that, that I saw Perry Marshall talk at this infamous, now infamous X10 seminar, which was Australia 2004. And he came and spoke and God, everybody was there. But everybody that was everybody at that time, Armin Moran, Alex Mandosian, Declan Dunn. It was an incredible event put on the, by the amazing Simon Jen. And Perry talked and Perry took the piss out of the Yahoo person that was there, which gave everyone a giggle. And that was the first I'd ever heard of, of Google ads. But bear in mind, I've been talking to all these businesses. Every conversation was, mate, I just want a few more clients. I don't want all of this mindset and team shit, all these systems, all this stuff that you got going on. I just want module five. And seeing Perry talk about AdWords was, oh my God, this is what they want and need. I'm doing that. I did. I dropped everything else and started learning AdWords. How did you begin that? The first account, one of the guys in my mastermind group had a business. I can probably mention names now because it's a long time ago, selling Ugg boots online. And he said, I don't want you to consult to me. I'll give you half the business. And he did. And the first day we was, so we turned on the AdWords account. I think he already had one and we're selling these $120 pair of Ugg boots and it's costing $150 a sale. And by the end of the first week, we'd kind of got things down to about 50, 60 bucks and, and knocked it in shape. Bear in mind, it was five cent clicks back then, right? It, it shouldn't have been hard to make it work, but it took a, a few days. Never done this before. Yeah. How, we, how did we, you even know how to do this though, Mike? Like, where, uh, um, I guess it was Perry's PDF. I, I, I don't know. I just, I, that's what I've always done is climb inside the machine, push every button, pull every lever and figure out how to break it and back up a step and figure out you know, how to make it work. I just, I love that. It's that, that engineer brain, I suppose. So we just played with it. And then by the end of the first week, things are going well. So then we really went at it, cranked things up. By the end of the second week, he had to go find another supplier. We were selling so much and we ended up selling a hundred grand's worth of Ugg boots in three and a half weeks. Wow. And then had to turn the whole thing off. But then the bit of the story that I've, I never tell is we then spent three and a half months dealing with all the customer service crap that came with that because Americans at that 
time thought Ugg boots were, were they had to say Ugg boots on the back. There was a brand, I think Decker's owned it, and it, it didn't say that because in Australia, Ugg boots are Ugg boots, right? They're, they're generic. Yeah. And so we had complaints and people sending them back and people that we knew had had the thing delivered because we had five emails going back and forth asking Visa for a chargeback and saying the stuff never arrived. Uh. And we could say, well, we've got the email. They're like, well, no, you have no proof of delivery because we were too cheap to go the proof of delivery sticker on the box. So we scraped out of that with a couple of grand to our names each four months later. Oh, wow. But he was running his other business, so I was sort of like lumped with all the customer service stuff. It was horrible. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was like proven at that point. Okay. And I started teaching other people. I started helping mates out stuff, case of beer here, there, and, you know, a nice dinner there and, and wandered off actually at that point to run somebody else's business. Cause I was pretty flat broke by this oh, point. You, you, the high life. Well, I'd gone blown your money, huh? I'd, I'd invested heavily in myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'd done a lot of, I've done a lot of personal development. Um, well, Tony Robbins and Michael Grover, right? So, and Landmark Forum and Kiyosaki and yeah, I did a lot of stuff, but also had some property stuff going with a mate in New Zealand. So we bought a few places back there. So I, I'd been supplying the deposits and he'd been running stuff. So I was kind of, you know, asset rich, cash poor is probably the nice way to put it. Flat broke is the other way to put it. And so, yeah, I, I wandered off at that point to help a guy run his business. Very, I won't go into that story, but very fortuitous sequence of events that led to that. Bizarrely, he had just three weeks earlier offered that same position to my now wife random wow but you didn't know her then i didn't know her then she lived in adelaide this was all in sydney okay and she was just about to say yes and move to sydney so maybe i would have met her anyway but then she got a, a another offer a better offer that enabled her to stay in adelaide i met her through that business because obviously he knew her i met her through that business a few months later uh, and we're now married but yeah how bizarre that huh. We, she almost ended up doing the job that I ended up doing. So I did that job for about 18 months. You and your wife and really have some similar skills then if you both could have got the same job. Uh, yeah, I guess so. She's, yeah, she's strategic. She was working in media then. It's, it's, it's kind of a complicated sequence of events, but he was running a, a business that was kind of an event management and speaking company. So she ended up working for our only client, which was a, a big radio company here in Australia. And he, it was to work as his business manager, basically to to run the business, albeit with a very very talented small team around that business manager. Yeah, they were they were epic. But I took that job because it was a, an opportunity to put myself on stage, which Kiyosaki had said a few years earlier. You need to learn to sell one to many. One to one's too slow. You need to learn public speaking. And I really really took that to heart, as you would having you know a guy like him say that to you. And so here was this chance of, of being able to, one, earn a bit of cash, but put myself on stage and, and build that skill. And that was, a, that was an amazing 18 months. I'm very, very grateful to Colin for that opportunity. And it gave me a little cushion to end up moving down to Melbourne. Gab had moved from Adelaide to Melbourne a couple of months before. So I moved from Sydney to Melbourne and we, we met in the middle. I didn't want to move to Adelaide because it's kind of sleepy. And she didn't want to move to Sydney because it's kind of crazy if you come from Adelaide. And so we met in the middle and both moved to Melbourne. And that was, I don't know what that was. What was that? 12 odd, 12 and a half years ago. So we must be at 2007. That was, that was the end of 2006, was it? Yeah, end of 2006. So there you go. You're, okay. So yeah, we, we must be getting close to the time where you and I connected because mm. I know around 2007, I started to... I know I connected with Andrew and Daryl Grant, who is the mutual connection, I think, for you and I. 
And I, yes. yeah, I started just being a guest speaker at some of their weekend workshops, as I think you were as well. And then there was some yeah. masterminding as well. So was there, what were you doing in Melbourne? What, what did you continue to kind of run an agency? I, that's, you... that's basically when I started the agency, when I, when I moved down here. Yeah. So that's where sort of Web Savvy was born. But because of this, this amazing event that Colin put on. So, so essentially, our client was the radio company. And they would bring their top 30, 40 clients from each market, Adelaide, Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, to these events. And we ran about, on average, probably about five a year for them. But then I was one of the speakers. And the person attending that would be the CEO or the marketing manager of the largest and best radio clients, but not the really big ones that went through agency land, but their largest direct clients. So this will mean nothing to people listening from all around the world. But if you're in Australia... Or basically, yeah, any business that you would have heard on radio that was a local business that wasn't a, a, a multinational. And I was meeting the CEOs and, and marketing managers of these people speaking on day one. But the nice thing about this event was you then did back-to-back -back consulting with seven people in a row each day for the next three days. So I was having one-on-one -on -one sales meetings in effect, but giving them massive value for that hour and then you'd sit there and shake a bit in your chair and have a five-minute break. And then, bang, next one would come in. Different set of problems. And off you'd go again. And I did those. I loved them. I loved them because it was just talking about their business, digging into their problems. And you had to diagnose. You had to prescribe. You had to make the prescription fit their you know, their faculties, their bank account, and the, the talent of their team. And you had to do all of that in about 55 minutes. And then, bang, next, please. It was awesome. Okay, but it got me. It got me so many amazing clients. I was going to ask. So you're in Melbourne now, and, and the, what, like the you kind of developed maybe two skill sets. One seems to be the kind of Michael Gerber slash every other course training that you went through, whether it's Kiyosaki or Tony <laughs> Robbins or you know whatever. And you then applied that to helping other business owners. Uh, but then you've also got this the raw skill set of I can drive traffic using Google's AdWords platform, which hits the nail on that very powerful need of I want more customers, right? So yeah, yeah. when you are about to start, and I think this is probably the first time in a while then when you, you're actually going to do your 100% own thing, you weren't part of someone yeah. else's group when you started Web Savvy. What, what, were you, what did you see Web Savvy as? What, did you have a vision for it? Or were you kind of just throwing stuff out there and, and you know see who showed up? Or I wish I had a, a, a fancy vision for that and the big vision board that I could point back to now. But no, I just wanted to help businesses grow. And that's, that's, it's always been that. I'm like, well, helping people grow. And I really believe that there's, there's so many sharks, particularly in this industry, and there's small businesses in particular, and by small, I mean, you know, less than 100 people, just have such a hard time of trying to figure out who to trust and who's taking out the garden path. There's so much misinformation, not just around digital marketing, but across the board, really. They just have such a bloody hard time. I just love helping those businesses, always have, love seeing them grow. And, and so they can get out of the way of doing all this stuff that they're not supposed to be doing in their business. And so they can get on with doing what they were meant to do, doing whatever their passion is and growing their business. That was really how it started. And that's really what we are today, just a bit bigger. Okay, so tell me, I love the granular start of a new company. So what do you do? You put up a website, 
you uh, write a few content pages, about page, try and get your first client, or over your case, you run no, some AdWords no. campaign saying you can do AdWords. <laughs> like, what, what do you what do you do? Well, it was it was really off the back of those of those radio gigs, and I I, I remember vividly about sort of five years. I ended up doing those for about eight nine years. So even after I left that company in Sydney, I was still part of their faculty and still on stage for them. And this would probably be from about 2005 through 2013, 14, something like that. And probably about six, seven years in, I remember saying to one of the guys, look, I'm, I'm not here to sell my services. I'm here as the, the guest of this radio network. And he stopped me mid-sentence going, mate, I wish you bloody would because we need you. And it sort of clicked like, oh, shit, yeah. Like I'm saying that you really, really need this, but I'm not here to sell it. Now you need to go back to, to your town and figure out where to buy this. And he really made it clear, like, no, we want to buy from you. And so I I started with, I think, two who are both still with me today back in 2007, two clients that I'd met through this radio gig. And bear in mind, like, yeah, even just knowing what the word AdWords meant back then made you an expert. So I don't think I was doing anything fancy, but I could see the need. And I said, I know how to do that. I know how to get you more people coming to your website. And it's ridiculously cheap. And it's a, I was very radio friendly. I had to be. But this is going to be the best ROI you've ever seen of any of your advertising investment. Let's give it a go. And I think my first couple of clients, I charged $397 a month because everything ended with a seven back then. Still does. And still does. <laughs> That's how it started. I don't think I had a website or business cards for a, for a long time. But I had this, that, that was the lead flow. Of, of this event and that absolutely got me to my first mill with without a shadow of a doubt was being able to sit in front of like people in Melbourne will know Frank Walker who's on the radio all the time lovely lovely man too but everybody just thinks of his annoying voice because he's got this really annoying cut through radio ad and I got to sit down with guys like that and talk about their business I learned so much from all of those CEOs and marketing managers. And I started learning about other forms of marketing, which I was completely blind to before, you know, above the line and out radio and all of this stuff. Um, I had to learn pretty fast, but it was, it was just the ball because mm. I loved the business of business. So yeah, it just, I don't know, it just evolved organically. And I was very, very lucky. Gab was amazing. And she supported me. She was earning good money at the radio station and I was bringing in absolutely nothing. We were young and in love. And it all just worked. Now, as we talked about off air before we hit the record button, one of the most vivid memories I have of our time together was in a little room in a mastermind where some of the other people in the mastermind were, were basically having a go at you for, for lack of a better way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember the specifics other than... Oh, I do. Oh, good. Well, you can clarify what... It was, there was something you weren't doing well with your business as per their viewpoint. And I remember, I didn't disagree with them, but I remember you were certainly put on the spot then. It was a very hot, hot seat in a mastermind. <laughs> really was. It, was. it was sitting in their kitchen. I remember sitting around their kitchen table and you were there and Gideon was there. Greg Kassar was there. So it, this is difficult to do audio only, but essentially what they were saying is, you're you're giving away this much value. Picture picture the big bar chart now. You're giving away this much value and you're charging this, this tiny little bar chart. And they were saying, you need to flip that. You need to be charging this, but delivering this tiny little bit of value over here. And I said, if I ever get to that point, please kill me because I will never deliver less value than someone has paid for. But they were all, you know, like uber rich, super smart, being mentored by these uber, uber rich, supposedly really smart people. 
and they were convinced that that was the way to go. And I was, I just thought it was abhorrent that you would just charge tens of thousands of dollars to people knowing that they wouldn't do what you told them to do, knowing that they, they thought that that didn't matter, that it's in the, the buyer's it's up to the buyer to, to extract value from what you've sold them and all this stuff. And but but you should be charging, you know, ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars for the information you've got, because the information you've got is bloody good. I'm like, yeah, it's good, but I want to over deliver on value. Okay, I get it. My price needs to go up, but I'm I'm never going to get to the point where I'm charging this huge amount for this mm. tiny bit mm. of value. And that, yeah, that really stayed with me. I I probably did undercharge for many, many years, arguably still do, but I'm more comfortable with that I sleep at night maybe take us forward because I remember leaving that you know half agreeing with them and half agreeing with you in the sense that okay yeah you need to charge more and and I mean listen you spent what was it 40 50 grand on a Michael Gerber program yeah that's a lot of money I mean yeah true and and I think they were talking about more around the fifteen thousand dollar price because that's what they charge for their kind of high-end stuff I know I was charging like a thousand dollars for my course, so I was even above. The difference your price. was, I think, though, that, that you knew that your stuff was good, and you knew hand on heart it was worth a thousand dollars. And I think, if they had ever been challenged to, in a court of law, hand on heart, is your stuff really worth that? I don't think they could have answered yes, and maybe they they'd convinced themselves that it was, but it was it was when they said like the value needs to be down here. If they'd said like your price needs to be up here and value needs to be oh up to the roof, right. I could have got on board with that. Right, but it right. was the way they'd sort of flipped those two bar charts around. I was like, nah, that just that's nah. Well, I can't do that. What did you do? So you, I mean, I do remember you were I wouldn't say struggling, but you definitely felt you weren't oh. where you could where you knew you could be with the skill set mm. you had and and so what happened? How did you grow? Because I obviously just we grew organically. I think I've, I've always grown my businesses organically. I've never taken debt for any business other than, you know, the first one was probably a, a helped by a, a check from dad that I repaid in full with interest. But I've never taken debt debt. I've never gone to a bank for a loan or anything. So it grew organically. And, and some people will think I'm an idiot for doing that. And they might be right. I could have grown much faster. I could have accelerated the whole thing. It probably took I'm going to say about five years to get to a million in turnover, which, you know, if you're 22 and listening to this today, you probably have that goal of getting to that by the end of your first year. I don't know. I didn't even think I had a goal of getting there. It just, it grew and grew and grew. And we added people to the team over time. And it was never like, oh, I've got to hit this huge revenue number. Let's push, push, push. My management style is pretty, uh, Fast and loose, should we say, or pretty loose? Actually, it's no fast about it. It's just pretty loose. It's just like <laughs> I want. Yeah, we focused like for for this year, for example, over the last six months, we focused hugely on a Dan Sullivan term called unique ability, and so a consultant who has become one of the family, really, or one of the team, has been working with everybody in the team, which is about twenty strong now on what are your unique abilities and your talents and strengths. You know, I think that whole thing of, you know, you work on a weakness to make it stronger. I disagree with that. I think you end up with a strong weakness. You work on your strengths and you make them super strengths. And so it's been a, a huge investment over the past six months that will that will pay off over time. But it's such a fun place to work when you're working with people that know what they want to be world-class at and get to spend most of their time. And that's our goal is that everybody is spending 80% of their time in their own unique ability. Obviously, that will take a while to get to and 50% is the first goal. 
but to, to do what you love to do, to do the stuff that gives you energy every day, you do, I do, we get the, the, the benefit of that. Why shouldn't everybody in the business have that and do the stuff that you love that lights you up, but you keep wanting to get better and better at, I think is, is Dan's use, loose definition of unique ability. It's just evolved. I, I don't think I ever set big, huge targets. Yeah. This is an interesting contrast to the, the podcast you probably can listen to just prior to this one with Mike, with the <laughs> one with Will Swain. So Will and Mike, you guys have very similar businesses in terms of the solution you provide. You know, you're basically direct response digital marketing agencies, Will being in Brisbane, you being in Melbourne, similar starting points. I mean, Will was a little earlier earlier than you, but I think he's always been about five years ahead of me. Yeah, but also I, I, I don't have him recently. I, I mean I did be I met him earlier than you. He was like two thousand and three and he was just getting started. So yeah, there's a good four or five years there. But his growth was slow as well. Like he, it was interesting hearing him talk about, and this is very relevant, I think, for all agency owners. You know, he get more clients. He'd then have to hire some people to deliver the service. Then he'd want to be able to scale, so he'd have to hire account managers to look after people. But then there'd be kind of staff turnover because the account managers would learn this new skill set. Then they'd want to leave or something like that. And then he'd have to you know, find the right people again. And then he took on a consultant at one point where he essentially turned his business almost into like a, a factory where you've got the department of copywriting and the department of AdWords and, you know, everything was sliced into these phases and you've kind of moved the client project through the departments and that helped things. And he also talked about instead of doing like a phone call free consultation, he'd actually get people to sign up for a $3,000 strategy day. And that was meant to yeah, give them something yeah. up front. And then that also turns them into a client or at least much more reliably does so. So all kinds of interesting stuff behind the scenes going on to make it work. But very slowly, we're talking a decade of doing all these things. And, and even at the end of all of that, we'll eventually said, you know what, we're scaling it all the way back and we're going to, you know, keep a core group on and uh, you know, still deliver the service, but we're going to do it with far fewer people, and I guess you know, ultimately fewer clients too. Only the best clients, maybe. Where you're, you're still at the, I guess, the point where Will was at with twenty people in your staff, and you're, yeah, you're, you which know, I mean, Will's had a huge impact on me. He was, he was very, very generous in the in those early days with his wisdom. We both went to Perry Marshall's event in Maui, which I'm pretty sure was May of 2010 or February 2010. But I do remember him being there. I think while we were there, we we roomed together at that event. You know, whales going past the window and yep. getting very drunk. I seem to remember <laughs> wandering around Maui. But while we were there, I think one of his senior people quit, and just him having to deal with that, you know, that far from home, what was everything going on, and chatting about that with him had a, had a huge impact. And I know he sort of, yeah, went through all of those different phases, whereas we've sort of just kept along that same model i i don't know we we may yet change the model you follow that sawtooth graph right right if income comes in and then you i like to think invest rather than spend but you go hire more people and then and then you get back up and, and eventually that sawtooth graph kind of starts to curve up but it's still bouncing up and down a bit and mm. yeah some of those lows are, are really low and I'd, sometimes it's very hard getting through that so actually yeah no i'd love to ask you uh, as i sort of asked Will too, in hindsight now, with so many years behind you, especially for those listening to this who might be running an agency or considering running an agency, 
what's really worked well for you and what would you now in hindsight never do again that you you know you wish you didn't do if there's a few tips you can pass on to everyone i think for, for me one of the, the biggest personal things is i wouldn't be so hard on myself on the way through i think i've tended to be put a lot of pressure on myself and, and take a lot of stuff on and the team are amazing they're constantly pushing back on that stuff and going get out of the way you know we'll do that but i tend to bit of a rescuer maybe like oh, oh can i help with that or can i do that i definitely was a micromanager in the past i am a hi i'm mike i'm a recovering micromanager but isn't that kind of what you have to do when you first start because you're the you know one man show for a while it is very interesting like like beginning of last year we put leadership team in place which this uh consultant sarah helped us help me with and that took an, an immediate palpable burden off my shoulders um and now with Zoe, our head of operations, just starting last week. I feel like that's just the next part of that, of me being able to step back a little bit more from the day to day. I don't know that I could have done that any sooner, certainly financially. I don't think I could have done that much sooner, but it's it's much, much more of a mental thing of being ready to hand that stuff off. The book, Gina Wickman's book, Traction, helped a lot with that, you know, letting go of the vine and, and being ready to do that, having the team ready for that, being mentally ready for that, financially ready for that. And then even when you hire that person, are you actually going to let go? Are you actually going to give them stuff to do and, and hold them accountable and give them responsibility? So that's been a huge learning curve for me over the past two, three years of growing up as a business person, growing up as a leader and making the distinction between leadership and, and management. I had a great line last night. I'm still bouncing this around my head and I don't know if you want to dive into this. We'll skip past it. But the 20th century form of leadership was all about the leader the 21st century is all about the ship cool way of putting it yeah no i totally agree and, and obviously you know some people listening to this don't they're not ready to build a ship you know they're kind of mm. they're asking that same question how do i get more clients how do i get more clients how do i get more clients so you know <laughs> how did you get more clients can we can we like i know you said organically yeah, but what yeah. does that really mean does that mean people just talk about you because you're good at what you do or are you running ad campaigns it's, are you you know that you know that saying of it's not what you know it's who you know i think that's bollocks it's who knows you so you know i know robert kiyosaki but he has no idea who i am who knows you and so how do you get known so for some people that's podcasting for others for me it was being on stage that was the, the single biggest thing that grew the business for other people it's hitting up everybody on linkedin and asking that way or blogging or whatever it might be. I think a lot of people probably spread that really thin. I think for me, I was very, very lucky with this radio gig and right place, right time, talking about something that was new. There was very little competition back in 2007 talking about this stuff. And I knew it pretty well back then. I think there's a huge dose of luck in there. But just, yeah, figure out a way, not a little bit of 12 ways, but like, what's your main way? And maybe one secondary and just hammer that hard. Uh, we did, I did a lot of stuff like at the, at the local library up the road. I remember I bumped into someone the other day who was there. This is like 2007, 2008. I went down and just taught this. There was a group of business owners and taught them AdWords for three hours on a rainy Thursday night and just doing stuff like that because I knew it would improve my speaking stuff. I don't think I was expecting to get leads out of it, but it was just 
let's sharpen the wheel stuff or sharpen the saw or whatever the, the phrase is. <laughs> sharpen the wheel. Hmm, interesting. Uh, <laughs> probably not that, but just, yeah, that constant practice and picking a thing. And then, yeah, obviously that led to stuff with Perry, which has helped enormously being co-author on the book. That's helped us grow our American book. American book is probably half. How did that happen? How did Perry, why did Perry choose to work with you? So I met him in 2004, um, went over again with Will in 2010 to his first sort of event that he put on back in Maui. There were about 70 people in the room. And I had, for, for once in my life, been a little bit strategic here, uh, is that I had made friends before the event with kind of his inner circle. Couldn't reach him, but with his inner circle. So guys like Brian Todd, Jack Bourne, Shelley Ellis at that time was teaching what was then the content network. I had taken all of this data from Google and mind mapped it. So they had this thing called, well, they still do topic targeting, but they have this, it's such a geeky way of displaying this data in a CSV table with ID numbers next to it. So I took all of this data and mind mapped all of Google's topics. I also mind mapped Google AdWords, like the whole thing of how Google AdWords worked on a mind map. But I took those two mind maps with me to Hawaii. I also sent Shelly beforehand a little, I sent her the, the topic mind map because that was the stuff that she was talking about uh, and a couple of sort of like close-ups of that that you could use in slides. So we're there, I'm at the event. She's about to go on stage and I, I see her just before she walks up on stage for her bit. And I, I show her the mind map and she's, oh, so cool because I'm, I'm, I'm using some of that in my talk. So I'm sitting there in the third row thinking, this is it, this is the bit. But yeah, my ego is just going, da, 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 da. this is going to be great. She shows the slide and I'm sitting there like holding the mind map rolled up. I've got it laminated and I'm just about to like, you know, wave to the crowd. It's, it's over here. You can have a look later. There. And she goes straight past. Nothing. No attribution. No nothing. And I'm like, what, 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 the, what? And I was so pissed off. I went over to Jack Bourne afterwards and mate, mate. And I explained the story to him and he, and he could see I was a bit going mental at this point. He said, J -j just wait there. I'll go get Perry. And he interrupted Perry, which I would never have done because I'm, you know, English and you know, stiff upper lip and all that. Interrupted <laughs> Perry, brought him over and said, Perry, this is Mike. He's got some really cool stuff. He'd love to show it to you. And I'm just like, hi. <laughs> <laughs> and so rolled these mind maps out on the table. And to me, it felt like 10 minutes. And I can still picture it. I can picture the rolling hills down to the golf course in Maui. We were outside the seminar room. And he sits down and looks at it. And he's following this mind map going, this is this is really cool. And, <laughs> and he goes, this is, this is cool. Like, we're going to do some work together. And that was it. And then, you know, on the whale watching boat the next day, I get chatting to Brian, Brian Todd, a lot more and build that relationship. Yes, a little strategically probably at the time, but he has become a wonderful friend and a confidant and uh, he's just a wonderful, wonderful guy. And that just led to stuff. So I started doing you know, free webinars for them, for their group, and that led to me doing all of their AdWords training programs starting probably a year or two after that. So I've been doing that for about seven years or so. And that was always just, you know, give, 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 give. That's probably the other big tip is give and don't expect. I, I didn't expect anything back from that. I was probably a bit strategic in who I tried to make friends with because they maybe had influence that I would never otherwise have had, but I didn't do it, you know, wanting to get a quid pro quo. I was just like, how can I help? How can I add value? And that led to that, led to that, led to that, which led to the book, which led to, you know, more speaking gigs in the States and, and getting more clients that way. So 
Is that what led to Tony Robbins and Michael Gerber as clients for, for your company? No, they were actually both. They would neither of those guys would have a clue who I am. Or oh, Gerber did. I, I met Gerber, but no, they were both referrals from from other agencies that were working with those companies in one way or another and brought us in to do the the Google AdWords. So why do uh, those agencies choose to refer to you? One's a personal friend. Still is the other one was yeah it's it's through it's through that the networking at events you know it's it, there's part of that event of, of being known and being a stage but most of all it's it's meeting all of the other people in the same industry we still get almost all of our business through referral and word of mouth there's a wonderful guy in the states who has sent us so many American clients and they're bloody good clients too and he's working with some amazing people we both spoke at the same event in Utah a couple of years ago and he just keeps sending work away because we over delivered on the first one and we keep getting his clients great results so I think it's it's both of those things I, th I think I used to think it was all results I probably didn't focus on the relationship side nearly enough in the early days and maybe Maybe I just I didn't need to back then because results for this new thing, if you could get results, that was everything. These days, everybody and their granny thinks they can do AdWords and the web designer will say that they can and then there's somebody else that, that does everything and they've got you know, a 17-year-old sitting in the corner still reading the book who's actually meant to be running the AdWords accounts. These days, the relationship is definitely probably more important. Right. I still got to deliver results, but the relationship side of things, we yeah. put a lot of focus on over the past three years, mm. I'd say. More crowded Three, space, so yeah. More well, crowded, so like where AI is going, where machine learning is going, you know, with the automation that started back three, four years ago, and and is really starting to take off now. I've been preaching this for three, four years of, of staying ahead of where the computers are at, and we've really doubled down on on strategy, relationship, and creativity, and then automating the stuff that can be automated as long as it doesn't, you know detract from right. results. Google will push us to automate everything and we'll say, well, no, we're, we're not using that because it, it's harmful to these accounts. I don't care about saving headcount or, or reducing cost. If it's going to damage client results, we're not, we're not doing it. We've had some reasonably heated arguments about that over, over the years. It's all good fun. Well, you, you've led me to a very important question. We haven't really talked about what does it take today to run a successful pay-per-click campaign because it's an incredibly saturated space now with Facebook's pay-per-click. You obviously got your start with the, not the first pay-per-click engine, but certainly the biggest and original uh, monster of Google AdWords and the content network and so forth. So, you know, if, I mean, there's going to be some people listening to this thinking, we're talking to one of the most well-respected, well-known pay-per-click advertising experts. I have to ask how do you run a successful pay-per-click advertising campaign nowadays? What do you recommend to people? I think if you're trying to do it as a one-man band, is bloody hard. I'm very, very lucky in that room over there. There's 20 incredibly smart people. And that's, I think, what I was always building, even though I said before, like, you know, there was never really a plan. In the back of my mind, there was this idea of what Dan Sullivan calls unique ability teamwork. So, you, you know, you picture the client in the middle and all around that are all of the the skills that are needed. And within digital marketing, there are so many diverse skills. And I guess I did an okay job of most of those in the early days. But as soon as we could get a you know, decent graphic designer in, because I shouldn't be anywhere near Photoshop or a better copywriter. And then you know, from the business, it's the same thing. You know, The first thing I outsourced was getting the books done because I hate paperwork with a passion, but 
I can do them, but I shouldn't be doing them. It's the same thing in an account. Now we have like amazing coders that can sort out any tracking issue that you have or shopping feed issue. And they're brilliant at solving those problems. So everybody is working to their unique ability. That's really what it requires these days is, is all of these different skills. You need code because it's obviously a much, much more data-driven thing now. So an understanding of analytics, which means you've got to have good tracking because without good tracking, you can't optimize anything. And still, I'd say 90% of accounts that we look at that come to us, their tracking is broken in one way or another. They're double counting or they're not looking at revenue or they're looking at the wrong number. How do you track nowadays, Mike? What's your recommendation for tools? Google Tag Manager is fantastic. So we pretty much insist that Google Tag Manager is on every site that we look after. Google Analytics still does the job 90, 95% of the time. There are all sorts of specialist tools out there for doing different things. Attribution is still a massive, massive problem that Google are trying to fix with their attribution tool. That's still a ways off being ready for prime time. So attribution is kind of the unsolvable problem, really. All the models are broken, right? But And some people, as long as there is a source of truth, I don't really care whether it's analytics or Infusionsoft or whatever tool that they want to use, but as long as it's actually been set up properly and things are tagged properly. But that, most people still don't value data, I don't think. They don't see the value in data and they certainly don't want to spend the money often of getting all of that tracking done properly. And then even if they do, do they stick to it? Do they stick to the naming conventions or do they end up wandering off the reservation? So that's, that's the best place to start, though, I think. is So, yeah, some agencies only do tracking. Some agencies only do CRO. Some people do a little bit of everything. We've pretty much stuck to our knitting of, of being, we're still, I'd say, I don't know, 80% Google Ads. We do do Facebook now. We've done a little bit of CRO over the years, but not much. A little bit of email, but not much sort of digging into Messenger and chatbots and Leeds Hook. Have you had uh, Nick Takaral on here, the founder of Leeds Hook? Oh, he's a wonderful guy. I'll send you his details later, but he's built an amazing product, but also just the way he's gone about it is fascinating. And he has a, a great story too of, of, of how he's arrived at this point. Okay, great. So, I mean, it's almost like the answer you gave if you were to start some paid advertising today is hire an agency like yours because you need so many specialists to do all these roles. But I know you're not necessarily saying that because, you know, it's not always the first step for everyone. But I do want to just ask you, because as a person who started an AdWords agency and then saw YouTube, (laughs) Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, LinkedIn, a lot of these platforms all roll out their own ad platforms. You know, then there's Mm -hmm. organic on, on all those platforms, too. You must have, you know, people or clients are saying to you, why aren't you doing this for us? Or can't you do this for us? You know, and how have you managed to stick to or why have you stuck to one thing or, you know, how have you not been tempted? And Good question. Um, Leverage, I suppose, is probably the one word answer. If one person asks for LinkedIn ads, I'm probably going to say no. If 10 people ask for Insta then we'll say yes. And at which point we said yes, I don't really recall, but certainly that's why we started. Trevor built the Facebook side of the business from nothing. He just said like, I'm interested in this. Can I have at it? Go for it. And that's now 20% of the business. So we, right. we do do Facebook and Insta for, for clients because the the demand was there. I've been banging on about CRO 
for 10 plus years. What, what I think, is CRO on stage, for those? Oh, sorry, conversion, conversion rate optimization. So, you know, tweaking stuff on your site to get a measurable difference. I think since 2008, I've been saying next year will be the year of conversion rate optimization. And we're still not really there. I mean, the, yes, the top, I was going to say 5%, but maybe the top 1% of of people spending money on paid media are, are really having a crack at that and, and understand their data and are, you know, testing their site, personalizing content, all of that stuff. But most people still aren't because again, I don't believe they value data enough mm-hmm. to make that investment. I, I remember Will had a client, I hope he won't mind me sharing this, I won't say who it is, but they were spending something like, I think it was 30 grand a month from memory and they didn't want to spend three grand to do conversion rate optimization. And Will showed off a, a mastermind their landing page and it was woeful. And you could just see straight away so many things that you would do to improve it. And there, was, there would be such an uplift. The return on that 30 grand could be so much greater, but they just saw it as a cost. So mm. it's you know, not having that, that mindset of investment, which I think is still there. And I think coming into a recession, probably, that most of the world is probably going to have at some point in the next year or two, that's probably going to happen all over again. People will batten down the hatches, try and cut costs. I don't believe you can grow by cutting. You need to invest, but mm. it gets pretty scary investing when you can't meet payroll. Mm, yeah, totally. So you're not you're not saying though that all of these platforms are inferior to Google in any way. It's it's oh, like God, no, no, it's horses for courses. We've just we've got better at choosing who we can help, and yeah, we've done little bits of of some of those other ones. We've played with. LinkedIn, I think Amazon will be the, the next big one that will get stuck into a big way. I mean, we do Bing for those American clients that ask, but we just don't go to market saying, hey, if you want Bing, come to us because, right. you know, we're not world class at that. I don't think we've ever done Snapchat or Taboola or Outbrain and that stuff. It's For me, it's a quite a different, it's a very different style of marketing and probably a different type of client. And, and we've lost some clients over the years because they wanted someone that could do everything. Mm. They wanted that one-stop shop. And I wasn't prepared to, I suppose, sacrifice quality to say, oh, yeah, we can do that. And then, you know, quickly run around behind the scenes going, shit, how do we yeah. do this? And, and learning on their dime, it was that was just never our, our so MO. What would you say to a person, you know, maybe like me or the listener, we have information products and we want to get into paid advertising. Like, how do you guide a person like that into their first campaign? We often don't, actually. So you're kind of asking the wrong person there. You probably want a, a funnel guy, like a, what's his name, Todd Brown. I'd, like, we typically work with people that are already spending on AdWords. They're typically spending, you know, 10 to 100 grand a month, but it maybe goes outside those bounds. They have data. That's the main thing. They have a funnel that they've been using for a while. They've got an account that they've been using, and we optimize the crap out of that right. and, and make it work better. We don't typically work. It's very, very rare that we work with startups or someone that says, I've, I've got this idea. Can you help me build this funnel? I'm I'm not a funnel guy. I'm not right, a copywriter. Right. So, yeah, we typically don't, and there are very, very smart people out there that, that specialize in that. The biggest thing, though, is they typically have an Excel chart that goes up and to the right, and enormous expectations of of what that investment ought to return. So you can go down the street and get 5% from the bank, but they want 500% on day one <laughs> from, from this campaign. Yeah. What's wrong with that? I expect that. <laughs> Managing those expectations is the game. Yeah. So we always say, uh, allow 90 days for those results to trickle down to your bottom line. And it's a test. So having that mindset 
of investment, but also being coachable and being open to some of this. If we if we knew it was going to work, we'd all be doing it already. So yeah. we don't know, and this is a test, and not every test is is going to work. So we've got much better at asking the right questions to prospects to see if they're a right fit from a values point of view, not just do they like us and can they pay the bill, but are we aligned in our values? And um, I'm, I've always been quite strict on that. You know, Google, as you know, has a what we lovingly call the granny policy. You know, if, you, if your granny wouldn't like it, then Google won't do it. Yeah, yeah. So we, we aligned with that very early on and we said, like, if, if, if it doesn't meet our granny policy, then we're not going to do it. Even if it's something that technically could run on Google or Facebook, if, if it's not aligned with our values, we won't do it. We've knocked back a fair few of those. And, and it, often there are interesting discussions around that in, in here. Should we knock back that person just because you don't believe in that thing or it doesn't match with your values? And I, I don't mind that side too much, but it's pretty democratic. Right. I'm, maybe sometimes a benevolent dictation. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> as a, a coach of a lot of brand new personal brand knowledge expert type people who, you know, they're hearing Lewis Howe say, do a webinar, run some Facebook ads to it. And that's how you, you know, you make your first 10 grand a month online. And I think a lot of people then underestimate the challenge of running that ad campaign to make that webinar bring in 10,000 a month, right? Well, they have zero point of difference. You know, there's an awful lot of free stuff available out there now on YouTube, wherever. Why should someone care about your thing? What, uh, to your point before, what's your story? Why should I listen to you? Why should I care? I, th- I don't think people spend near enough time thinking about that, nor do they spend enough time on the offer. I think that's where a lot of people go wrong is they, they put up a page and they assume that that's that done and they test all of this bit all of the traffic and maybe an ad, change creative, and they do all this testing and spinning the wheels over here, but the offer sucks and it was never going to work. And then you've done your dough and you're 20, 30 grand in the hole and go, oh, this stuff doesn't work. I see it in forums still all the time. AdWords doesn't work. I'm like, well, no, it's just a tool. A tool is like fire. Fire can toast your marshmallows or it can burn your tent down. It depends (laughs) how you use the tool. It doesn't mean the tool is inherently bad. All right, we're we're out over an hour, so we better start wrapping this up, uh, Mike. We, we've uh, I'm glad we got to talk a little bit on on some ads there, as well as your background story. It's a nice nice combination. What's the snapshot for today? You, you you said you got about 20 people in the room next to you, all working on their unique you know zone of genius to, to deliver great service. You're obviously I guess floating more and more to the top of your company and trying to do less and less micromanaging. If you're hiring all these sort of leadership roles in your company. What's the kind of next step? Is it, I don't know if you, and you, you sound like you don't think too heavily on, you know, vision, but it, are you going to one day sell this company? Are you trying to get to a certain size? Does that even cross your mind? You just have to. It, it crosses my mind. I, I kind of dip in and out of that of like, you know, do we want to be, a, you know, X dollars in rev? But then I back away from that because I'm like, that's just so uninspiring as a, as a company goal. I always sort of end up backing away from that. There'll be this organic growth. Yes, I, I I love the business of business, so I will keep exploring stuff. I mean, for me, the last couple of years has been all about AI, machine learning, digging into that. I want to know enough there to spot the business opportunities and to be able to translate business to geek and sort of sit in the middle of that. I think there's a huge opportunity there as you know, AI as a service, machine learning as a service down the track. But I also think it's probably a bit early for that. So I'm sort of What's the what's the the step in the middle, which I think is probably automation. That's as far as I've I've got with that. And here, 
honestly, for me, I just want to be the best dad I can possibly be. That's that's <laughs> that's the most important thing to me. I think it probably was when I talked in 2007 to you, and I didn't have, I wasn't married then, I didn't have kids, but I've always known that was my, you know, that's my main thing. Number one, two, and three. I love business. I love this business. I love my team, but it is definitely in second place compared to to family. So right now my kids are still little. I, I was a late starter, didn't get married till I was 40. Yeah, there or thereabouts. So right now I'm just enjoying that, um, enjoying taking them to kindy and school and playing Lego in the evenings and, uh, you know, business uh, super uber growth can, can wait a bit. Sounds like a good spot to end it on. Uh, Mike, where can we find out more about what, what you do and people want to follow you? So web savvy, W-E-B-S-A-V-V-Y dot com dot A-U, because we're down here in Australia. That's the done for you side of things. That's probably the best place to start. Come and have a look at our shiny new website, which is find all the bits on it that are broken and our shiny new logo. Or reach out to me on, I guess, Facebook's probably the easiest place rather than giving out email addresses because I don't really do email. But Facebook com slash Mike Rhodes. Just to clarify, just because you're a .com.au doesn't mean you're only servicing Australians because obviously we've... Oh, no, no. We clients yeah. all over the world and, and yeah. lots in America. But yeah, we're just, we're based here. The team is here. I haven't done what Will's done and many others have successfully done of, of build the uh, the remote agency yet. We've talked about, you know, people work from home more these days than they used to. So maybe that's in yeah, in our future. But for now, I think we all love coming in the camaraderie and the banter in the office and the silliness and, and being around smart people. There was a book written a couple of years ago, where good ideas come from. And the spoiler alert, it's smart people sitting around a table having a conversation. I think that's still with all the technology we have, this is wonderful. You're in Vancouver, I'm in Melbourne, but with all of that, it's still so much better just to be in the same room to brainstorm that stuff. So for the next little while, we'll keep doing that. If growth is in front of us, we'll grab onto it with both hands, but we're not going to, we're not a sales organization. We're not going to keep setting you know, huge targets. We just want to do great work for interesting people. Fantastic, Mike. So Mike Rose, Facebook and websavvy.com.au. Thank you for your time. And uh, yeah, good luck with the, well, I would say with the growth, but just good luck doing what you're doing because it seems to be a nice balance. Thanks, man. It's been an absolute pleasure. I can't believe that time went so fast. So thanks for having me on. It's been great catching up with you. Thanks for listening to Yarrow's podcast. For more episodes, visit yarrow.blog and subscribe on iTunes or Google.